This is Planet Money from NPR. This seems like a pretty nice neighborhood. Yeah. Every house here, the lights are all out. So yeah. People are asleep. And we're sneaking up quietly on the car. Larry Baker is a repo man. We're crammed in a surprisingly small tow truck, creeping through the suburbs in Ohio. Tonight, Larry's job is to find and repossess a black Chevy Cruze. The person who bought that car is about six payments behind, and the finance company wants its car back. It's right there. What's that? It's right there. Okay. Let me see. I thought I'd seen lights on here. We pull up to like a charming little house. There's a, there's a little garden, there's a couple of bird feeders in the yard. The Chevy is sitting right in the driveway. The house is totally dark. What time is it? It's about one in the morning. Yeah, I'm not gonna knock on the door. Okay. Yeah, I'm just gonna grab it and I'm gonna drag it out. Okay. My heart is genuinely pounding pretty hard. Like, there's You're a chance there. somebody is gonna wake up and come out here. And if they do, then we deal with it. We were out with Larry because we wanted to see on the ground what is a pretty alarming trend in the United States right now. Seven million Americans are at least three months behind on their car payments. That's about the time your lender starts thinking about repossessing your car. We haven't seen numbers this bad since the worst of the financial crisis. And you'll hear a lot of big macroeconomic explanations floating around for why it's happening this time. For one, we know that car prices are rising, and they're rising faster than people's incomes. But also, interest rates are low right now. Investors, i.e. Wall Street types, are fishing for creative ways to get better returns. They are bundling and buying car loans. The riskier the car loan, the bigger the payout, but also the better the chance that somebody just stops paying that loan. Like the owner of the black Chevy Cruze that is getting hooked up on the back of Larry Baker's tow truck. Hey, so you're 100% sure this is the right car? Huh? Yeah. Usually, Larry and his wife Maggie do these repossessions together as a team. She's out sick tonight, and it's left Larry a little exposed. He looks at the Chevy Cruze, then at the house. Still no sign the guy who bought this car is awake. See, usually my wife stands by the door of the car in case he runs out, and that way she can stop him from jumping in the car. Well, that certainly would be some exciting radio. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Kenny Malone. I'm Preeti Bharathan. A repossession, it's kind of the end of a story. One that's playing over and over again in this country with the same three characters. Today on the show, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to tell this story three different ways, Rashomon style, from three different characters' perspectives. The salesman. If used car salesman is the worst person in the world, I am the king of the worst people in the world. <laughs> the driver. I had the money. I had the means. I was like, I'm getting a car today. And of course, the repo man. Four years of college and I chose to do this. What'd you study? Economics. This message comes from NPR sponsor Fundrise. Fundrise has innovated the way people can invest in real estate. They are the first online investment platform designed to give people the opportunity to own a portfolio of high-quality real estate affordably, thanks to their cutting-edge, low-cost model. Access private market real estate projects from high-rises in D.C. to multifamily apartments in L.A. 
To get started, visit fundrise.com slash money to have your first six months of advisory fees waived. Planet Money has a newsletter straight to your inbox. It's just the right amount of economics weekly. Go to npr.org slash planetmoneynewsletter. Today, we are following the life cycle of a delinquent car loan. We have three characters with three stories, and they are not related in real life, but they are part of this same basic story that is happening over and over when a car is repossessed. So just know, not related stories, but we will be cutting in and out of them over the course of the next three chapters. Chapter one, the salesman. In our industry, PhD stands for Papa has a dealership. Uh-huh. Well, uh. isn't that true for you? I technically do have a PhD then. Okay, I see. I got it. Rick Reichert, like his father before him and his father before him, runs Reichert Automotive, founded in the 1950s near Columbus, Ohio, and... As a third-generation car salesman, Rick talks in this great old-timey car lot jargon. PhD, for example, but also towers? That's where the sales directors sit, thinking about credit scores and loan approvals. What kind of car a customer will actually be able to buy. And while the salesmen are on the lot with customers, sales directors are running numbers up in their ivory towers. They don't sit above everyone else anymore and look down. Yeah. They did when I started. They looked down on the salespeople. They looked down on the customers. <laughs> now we have everyone eye to eye. Their primary job is to know how to put that puzzle together. To some degree, our auto loan story starts here, with the towers. Because when you walk into a car dealership, there's a fundamental question the salesman needs to know. Do you have good credit or do you have bad credit? And you'd never want to, as a salesperson, look at a guest and say, Hey, how's your how's your credit? Do you think it's good or bad? Because if that person has good credit, they're offended. Yes. And they're saying, oh, wait a minute. Are you implying that I might not have perfect credit? That's how good credit people talk, yes. Yes, that's how they talk. <laughs> Actually, it's funny. I lifted my chin up and I kind of t- tightened my vest up. Um, if you have good credit, odds are you won't have trouble getting a loan with a low interest rate. You're in good shape. You can drive off with a great car. If you have bad credit... You're a riskier bet to lenders. You're going to have to pay a higher interest rate for a loan, assuming someone is going to give you a loan. And Rick says there's this special move his salesmen use just to to float the idea that all people and all credit ratings are welcome at his dealership. We do what's called the Columbo, where as you're walking out of the lot (laughs) to look at cars, you turn back over your shoulder and you say, and by the way, we have guaranteed credit approval if that's something you think you may need. Why is that the Columbo? From the old TV show Columbo, that's what yeah. the sales trainers have called it for years. It's that kind of like look over the shoulder and give that squinty-eyed, by the way, I you know noticed this. It's kind of a smooth way. They just call it the Columbo. The Columbo is a subtle way to let customers with bad credit know that Reichart can still sell them a car and a car loan. Reichert also has a subprime financing company. And let's just talk about the term subprime loan for a second, because subprime does not mean bad loan. It just means loan to somebody who has bad credit. It is a riskier loan, and the interest rate will be higher. And some people think that this practice on its face is predatory, that lenders can push people into cars they can't afford with incredibly bad loan terms. And Rick says... Part of the reason we are seeing more and more people fall behind on their car payments is that there are more and more questionable subprime auto loans. A lot of lenders have gotten very loose. 
They have been extending credit and extending terms and extending money to individuals that probably shouldn't have had those terms of those loans and been able to buy those vehicles. That, Rick says, is the irresponsible way to be a subprime lender. And you'll hear stories about this. Companies stuffing people into expensive, crappy used cars, wringing out as much money as they can, repossessing the car, even garnishing wages. Rick says there is a responsible way to be a subprime lender, and that is to think about the next car a customer with bad credit is going to buy. If Rick hands that person a lousy loan for an unaffordable car, he's going to have to repossess that car and wreck that customer's credit, which is bad for future business with that customer. Oh, my gosh. Me as a dealer, I want them to make the payment. I want that car to get them where they need to go. I want their credit reestablished to where we can get them in a prime loan and really get someone back on their feet. The subprime auto loan market is a critically important market when it is working well, because people with bad credit and without a lot of money still need a car to live their life, to go to work. And without subprime, they would not be able to get the money to get that car. And it's worth underscoring that the vast majority of people in this country with subprime loans are not defaulting on those loans. At least 92% of people who got subprime auto loans are paying them off on time, or at least they're not seriously behind on payments. We asked Rick how many of the subprime loans his company issues result in repossession. And compared to other lenders, it is a low number. I'm going to sound really nerdy because I think it's exactly 6% over the past two years consistently. So that is 6% of people given a loan and then a car and then it doesn't work out. That is very bad for that group of people, like not good for their life. It's bad for their credit. Is there a way to avoid that? Just get that number down to zero? Um, Yeah, but one of the ways, so if we did that, that would mean that we're basically declining and just telling people we aren't going to give them a loan. Right. So, you know, as long as we want to play in that field of lending, um, there's always going to be some form of repossessions. There's just, there's just no way around it. But also, Rick says, there's no surefire way to predict who is going to default and who isn't. Credit scores don't tell you if somebody is going to be in the hospital in a year or lose their job. There's just no perfect way to predict what's going to happen in somebody's life when they walk into a car dealership. Can I, can I ask a question before you go to the dealership? Okay. Chapter two, the driver. So what car do you have in that moment? I believe it was a 2007 Ford Explorer. Okay. A nice car. Yeah, and it had almost like 400,000 miles on it. Yeah. That's, uh... <laughs> Driving a Ford Explorer that's shaking a little bit. You tend to want to get something different. <laughs> oh, was it was it shaking a bit? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hit that 70 miles per hour mark on these highways. It gets a little sketchy. <laughs> Stephanie Waldrop lives in a small town in Mississippi. She's 23 now. And a year ago, she was working at a fast food fried chicken restaurant. She'd been there for a while, started as a cashier, moved up to shift leader, then to manager. So you got this new job and... I imagine it came with more pay. Yes, honey, it did. (laughs) (laughs) So you were making pretty good money. It was great money. Look, it was money that I didn't understand what to do with. Stephanie was making four grand a month, and she kind of did understand what to do with it. Upgrade her crappy Ford Explorer. Did you have a dream car in mind? Well, you know, I'm a very, not really simple, I'm complex, but simple at the same time, you know. I'm very much an SUV person. Okay. So I wanted a Ford Flex. We had to look up the Ford Flex, and it is 
An unusual-looking car to pick as a dream car. To me, it looks like a hearse, and I think that's kind of cool. <laughs> so therefore, I wanted that. Like, I'm kind of gothic, you know, but I'm actually quite bubbly sometimes. So <laughs> bubbly gothic is the best way to describe you. Yeah, yeah, I'm a bubbly goth. <laughs> So just before her birthday, Stephanie drives her shaky Explorer to a dealership in Mississippi. Salesman there says, bad news. Stephanie, we cannot get you a loan for the Ford Flex because you've got bad credit. Stephanie can't remember her exact credit score, but she says ballpark was like 600. Not great. But the good news? This dealer could still get her a subprime loan for a different car. I used Ford Fusion. You know, it was a, it was red. Like, that's my favorite color. Being colorblind, that's the one color I could see very well. So that's why I wanted that red car. I was like, oh, it is red, so let's go for it. Now, let's just talk about the terms of subprime auto loans for a second. Because Stephanie was not going to get a favorable loan, to say the least. This was about a $12,000 used car. Her interest rate on the loan was going to be 23%. So with fees and taxes... Her payment was going to be $466 per month for 48 months, and she was going to end up paying almost double the sticker price of the car. Some people say this is why subprime is predatory, but others say this is kind of the deal. This is what it costs to cover a higher risk of default when someone has bad credit. But these are the kinds of terms on subprime auto loans. Interest rates in the high teens, low 20s. And sometimes they'll be stretched out for seven or even eight years. So Stephanie's looking at a car that's not her dream car and thinking it's better than the shaky Ford Explorer. She's looking at a loan that is definitely not her dream loan and thinking, I mean, I can't afford it. Four sixty six a month. I make four grand a month. OK, let's do this. And over the next year, she made her payments. She kept working at that fast food restaurant, making great money. But she says there were things at that job that just started to take a toll on her. I am a transgendered woman. So there's a lot of discrimination that comes along with that. It just kept happening more and more frequently. I had a couple workers there that would call me it. And then the guests, the customers and stuff that would come into the store, oh, it was it was something else. I mean, they would sit there and just ask, what are you? Wow. Blankly just ask that. And so it started weighing on me. For a while, I was like, I don't really care. But in the back of my mind, it, it really weighed on me really hard. Eventually, she says it was just too much. She found a new job that was better for her, and she quit the restaurant. The problem was that this new job, it paid a third of her old salary. She knew there were going to be huge trade-offs, including that expensive auto loan. When it comes to your mental health and something that's material... The mental health outweighs material any day. So Stephanie missed her first payment. And the finance company starts calling. They're calling, asking what I'm going to pay. And they'll just sit there and pressure me and like, well, we need you to pay something now. I'm like, well, when the manna from heaven falls, then I'll pay you. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's kind of hard right now. After three months, Stephanie was about two and a half payments behind. And that is when her lender decided they wanted the car back. It was the morning, a weekday. She had the day off from her new job, and she was in her kitchen. I'm there at the dishwasher, putting dishes in there, cleaning up afterwards. And our window points straight towards the driveway. And I see this white tow truck hooked up to my beautiful red car. <laughs> oh, no. And I'm like, uh, let's <laughs> tell my boyfriend. I was like, um, 
I have a situation. <laughs> like I was freaking out. I was like, no, 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 I'm not that far behind. Why are you taking my car? <laughs> but I mean, it must cross your mind that you're like, this is what happened, I guess, when I skipped those this, Yes, it's like, this is what happened when I laid this down in order to pick up another part in my life. Hey, so you're 100% sure this is the right car? Huh? Oh, yeah. Chapter 3, The Repo Man. When we met Larry Baker, it was about 9.30 at night. He was waiting for us in his tow truck, which was parked in front of his boat, which is named Final Notice. And the final notice on the boat means if I come, I'm your final notice. You ready to load up? Yeah. Larry's wearing an Ohio State crewneck sweatshirt. He's got a small hoop earring. He smokes Pall Mall cigarettes, but he's trying to quit. And at least tonight, his radio was tuned to the classic rock station in Columbus. You like this song? Yeah. It's the best. Guns are We rode along with Larry from 9.30 p.m. to around 1.30 in the morning. This time of night, I always get coffee. You guys drink coffee or no? Or Oh, yeah. Okay, well, Speedway coffee's the best. Wait, really? Oh, my God, yes. Speedway coffee, that is repo lesson number one. Here is what else you'll learn over the course of four hours with a veteran repo guy. Lesson two, do your repossessions in the middle of the night because if people are sleeping, there will be less conflict, but that doesn't mean zero conflict. Yeah, that's, I didn't bring it tonight. That's why I carry a 45 automatic. How many times have you had to pull a gun? Twice in, in 15 years. And you've had a gun pulled on you? About four times. Okay. But lesson number three, Most people are good. And remember, you are meeting them at one of the worst moments in their lives. You know, when when they treat me with respect, you know, I I have a heart too. So there's been times where I've left cars, you know. Finance company wanted me to get a car and, you know, I I looked at the paperwork. They only owed 300 some dollars. And I thought, you know what, this car really is a piece of junk car. The poor girl's paid for it for, you know, two years. I just left the car. I told her to go hide it. There have been massive changes in the repossession business that help explain why a record number of Americans are falling behind on their auto loans. The repossession business has changed dramatically over the course of Larry's career. He's been doing this for more than a decade, and here's how he says it worked when he started. A lending company would get in touch and say, hey, Larry, so-and-so stopped paying. We need her car back. So in those olden days, Larry wouldn't get much more information than that. A name, an address, a phone number? But maybe so-and-so moved. Maybe she isn't picking up her phone. Now what? Larry then had to become like a kind of detective. He would go on the social media of the day, MySpace, and he would see if so-and-so was posting pictures of herself. What's in the background of the picture? Does Larry recognize it? Can he drive there? Maybe the car's there. He'd also check databases to find other addresses, other phone numbers. And if that didn't work, he'd try to find so-and-so's family members and just start making phone calls. You have to do a little trickery. And, you know, I might call a cousin and say, hey, this is John from Rena Center. Um, your cousin so-and-so came in to get a, you know, widescreen TV. Um, we want to get it delivered to her. But we need to verify three pieces of information. So now I got our new address. Are you allowed to do that? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going after the person that I'm talking to. If he wants to volunteer the information, then that's on him. Okay. The point here is that those were the old MySpace days when it was a ton of work to track down somebody's car. 
and there was a decent chance that Larry would never find so-and-so's car, and the lender would just be out of luck. They'd never get it back. So you could imagine, lenders were a little more reluctant to give out subprime loans back then. But things have changed. It's gotten way easier to get a car back. All right, so what's next? Okay, I'll show you. Larry pulls out this iPad to show us the next car on his repossession list. It's a, a black Chevy Cruze. The car was bought with a subprime loan. The buyer has stopped paying, but here is the catch. Nowadays, Larry says, part of the deal when you buy a car with a subprime loan is that the lender is going to stick a GPS tracking device onto your car. So now, Larry doesn't need to go on MySpace or fake a phone call. He just opens up an app on his iPad and punches in this car's GPS number. GPS don't lie. Okay. So we'll ping it. Oh, you're like, we, we pulled up the live GPS here? Yep. Up pops a map that shows a little dot in a pretty nice neighborhood. This is where the car is. Yep, that's where it's at. What if it's in the garage? It's not. Okay. This, this thing pings pretty much accurate. It does seem like your job is much easier now. Oh, yes. Larry says finance companies now know that if they issue a risky loan, it's going to be much easier to get their car back if someone stops paying. And that is definitely a part of the reason we are seeing more subprime auto loans. When you know you can get the car back, it is that much less risky to issue the loan. And it is amazingly easy to find a car this way. That's right there. This is, in fact, the car we were repossessing at the very beginning of the episode. Larry is running around the driveway, hooking this Chevy Cruze up to his tow truck. All right, so it's like one in the morning. We're standing in someone's driveway. As far as we can tell, they're asleep. This is like legitimately. Larry, do you not dread somebody waking up in the middle of this? Doesn't scare you? If they do, I just tell them, you know, I explain to them. I just tell them, you know, sorry, you know. Larry trails off. He's focused on his actual job, which is getting into his truck, pressing a button that pulls the Chevy into the tow position. Nobody wakes up. Nobody runs into the car. Larry hits the gas, and he drives away. Say adios. That's it? That's it. Call me tomorrow. Is this what a normal repo looks like for you, Larry? Yep. Five minutes. Five minutes. It would genuinely be miserable to wake up and not have your car the next morning. Like, that person might have to go to work, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, I, I feel for some people. I really do. You know, taking somebody's property and... You know, making them, you know, stranded. You know, they could have, you know, a couple kids, and you're really going through some hard times. I mean, we've even we've even taken a car and gave them money, um, you know, because they didn't have any money to get a, catch a bus. They had to go to work or catch an Uber. Um, you know, we all have to pay our bills. I, this is how I pay my bills. This is how I, you know, feed my family. So it's just a job. Millions and millions of Americans are on the verge of having their car repossessed. Some people are calling this a subprime auto crisis. But look, this is a different kind of crisis than the subprime mortgage crisis of 2007. There are a lot of reasons why, but probably the simplest is that there is just way less auto debt. The mortgage market was and still is much, much bigger than the auto loan market. That said, an auto repossession is clearly a crisis when it is your car being taken. After the break... What really happens after a repossession? 
The Indicator is a little show that tells big stories about the economy. In just 10 minutes, we tackle important topics like unemployment, the housing market, and how Justin Bieber saved the Icelandic economy. That happened. NPR's The Indicator from Planet Money. Listen now. Yes, yes. Stephanie Waldrop's car was repossessed just last month at the end of October. She says she actually recognized the repo guy. He used to come into her chicken restaurant when she worked there. He was a nice guy, she says. Even gave her time to clean out her car, grab her beloved umbrella. It's wonderful. It's huge. It's just black. It's just massive. <laughs> it's like a funeral umbrella. This is your gothic side. It's like a side. funeral. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's, it's the gothic side coming out. One of Stephanie's goals with that car was to build her credit back up. But the repo has not been good for her credit score. It dropped like a bad habit, honey. Uh, how, how did you feel when you, you saw your credit score? I was a little offset. You know, I was put back a little bit. But it's like, I'm going to fix this. And technically, she still does have time to fix this. Here's the situation. Stephanie's car has not yet been auctioned off. And until that happens, she can get the car back. She'll need to start making regular payments again, plus a new $700 repossession fee. So her plan is to find a second job to get the money she'll need to get her car back. Of course. All of that will be harder because she doesn't have a car anymore. How are you getting around now? Ah, honey, sometimes I don't even know. (laughs) Yeah, how are you getting home? Oh, my boyfriend's mom. She's going to take me to work. After this, I'm going to work. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, good luck on the car. uh, Update us if you get the car back. Okay. As of this recording... Stephanie told us that she is now in the running for a better, higher-paying job as a store manager. However, she also told us that she now has barely a week to try and save her car. She just got word that the car is going to auction in 10 days. Have you got a multi-character Rashomon-style story that can guide us through an economic trend? Well, you can email it to us at planetmoney at npr.org. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Planet Money. This show is produced by Darian Woods. Alex Goldmark is Planet Money's supervising producer. And Brian Erdstadt edits the show. I'm Preeti Varathan. And I'm Kenny Malone. This is NPR. Thanks for listening.